Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. We're going to start stream off today with my gender check-in, my HRT journey check-in. My name is Dungeon Meowster. I use they, them pronouns, and I made a list of things. There's only three on the list so that I can be concise. So I've forgotten how many weeks we are in. I think it's six and a half, maybe, but check the title of this VOD later. And that'll be the true answer. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> We're not two months, but more than one month, somewhere in there. And a couple of things I'm noticing is my skin is really drying out. So like at first it was like, oh, my glob HRT getting all the acne. And then I think a combination of taking testosterone and putting the minoxidil on my face, which is something I'm doing to stimulate beard growth, has dried everything out. My like scalp is itchy for the first time in my life like pretty consistently and I remember looking at capybara the other day and being like is this why they market head and shoulders to men are dude heads just itchier than chick heads that was really like gender essentialist of me but like in general are testosterone beings itchier on their skin than estrogen beings and she was like yeah that's totally a thing because your skin gets tougher and also drier and I was like oh no so that's a thing <laughs> that I get to navigate. Yeah. Okay, so what else? We talked, I've been talking and learning a bit about like voice training and part of the voice training stuff is you have to be able to change your resonance. It, like even if your pitch changes, if the, the sort of canter of the way your voice happens is still, and we actually talked about this in our bonus gender stream on Friday, if you still have that really excited customer service voice that goes up at the end, then people are still going to code you as feminine or female when they talk to you, even if you're talking all the way down here. So that's a whole time. Blink, blink. We spent a lot of time on Friday talking about some of the different resources that are available for voice training. If you're interested in any of that, there's the information is recorded forever in our discord server the invite is now in the chat and it's on the socials up there anywhere you find my link tree you can find the invite to the discord side note on that we also added four yes i worked all weekend we added four opt-in channels so far for questioning things if you're questioning your gender your sexuality if you might be disabled or have multiple types of disabilities and if you are questioning if you might be neurodiverse for example maybe autism or ADHD, as is my case. I imagine we could also talk about different forms of dissociative identity disorder, as the medical people call it, and being basically pl a plural system. We could also discuss that in there. And there are more requests for more identities and things, so we're going to keep working on that and keep making our space as diverse as possible. Yeah. Okay, the last thing on the trans check-in is one thing that I've really been noticing the last, I would say, two weeks especially, and I don't know if this is um, 
also related to getting my first COVID shot. But one thing I've been noticing is my energy can be like go and then it just crashes. Like I I wake up and I have a lot of energy, which once I got on my CPAP machine, that also helped. But there's this, I don't know, I think it is the testosterone. It gives me that boost and I just go really hard, but then I crash really hard too. And so there's like more peaks and valleys. My energy used to be more of a kind of blah line that just went on forever. And now it's more peak valley. Yeah. So those are the the three things that I have to share for my check-in this week. Thanks for listening. I'm going to undeafen and switch over to our guests now. We can do introductions. A side note on vaccines. One more thing is I'm getting my second shot this Friday. So there's a possibility that I will cancel some of the streams next week if I'm still feeling like total garbage after that. I've heard that it is especially unkind to people whose bodies are already disabled. Like your dis- your disability stuff is just harder and more painful and more of a bad time. So I'm anticipating that might be a thing that happens. FYI, I still love everyone. Okay, I'm going to switch over. Uh, uh, hey, Hello. Brooklyn, how's it going? Hey, good. good. Sorry, I have your stream still up, and which is apparently on a delay. It's all good. So. I love muting tabs. It's such a useful <laughs> skill when multi-lurking in all the streams. Yes. Yes, it is. Although, apparently, you can only lurk in three streams at a time, which I feel is unfair. Really? Because I, I can pay attention to, like, at least three th- streams without muting because ADHD. Yeah, so that's something that I've read recently or that people talk about is you can be in as many streams, but it only counts the first three that you open or something like that, or the last three. Yeah, that's something funny. like that. I hadn't even heard that. The ways of Twitch are weird and wonderful. No, not wonderful, just weird. Well, Brooklyn, I'm really glad that you're here with us today. I... At this in this moment, I'm forgetting what chain of other streamers whose chats I met you in, but I'm really glad I, that we met. I think mostly Thinks Internet because I think Thinks Internet ages and ages ago raided into you, and I was like, "Oh, cool, fellow trans streamer must follow." That is the law. If you meet a fellow <laughs> trans streamer, you must follow. <laughs> and then I had lurked in a couple of your streams, and I think then again started talking to you again more recently either in thinks internet stream or in your own or both but i'm pretty sure it's thinks internet that's it could be wrong yeah, though i think so <laughs> i think i don't remember if i raided into thinks internet stream or if i was just like i've been following you for months and haven't caught a stream yet i need to get on that and then was like holy smokes this community is so wholesome and great yeah it's one of my favorite communities on the internet they're really great they're like a second family to me no I love that so much. So good. Yeah. I'm really glad that you're here. I want to start with just like introductions. So you probably just heard a bunch of me talking about myself. But since I think that part maybe isn't going to be in the podcast, I'll just say again, I'm Dungeon Master and I use they, them pronouns. And I'm non-binary pal. Cool. Yeah. My name is Brooklyn. I am one of those weirdos who uses my own name as my, like, username everywhere because it's easy. And I am, I identify as a trans woman and use she, her goddess pronouns. 
I'm an Indigenous American living in Atuera, New Zealand. My Te Rio Maori, which sometimes I slip in Te Rio sentences, which is the language of the Maori people here in New Zealand, isn't the greatest. So please don't go. I heard Brooklyn pronounce it that way. So that's how it's pronounced. And I do apologize. And we'll, if I ever say something in Te Rio that you don't know what it means, just ask me. I try not to do it too often, but sometimes it happens because we are a multilingual country here. That's so wonderful. There's so many things I could ask you about all the words you just said. <laughs> I'll start with a fluffy question first, though. I've heard that Amanda Palmer is in your neck of the woods and has been for the last year. Grimace face. I'm not a... F- okay. That's fair. <laughs> um, mostly because of her transphobia around some of her songs and her know. criticism. Yeah, she has a song that's not about a trans person, but is written about a trans person. Like, it has lots of trans lyrics, and then she i just find her a generally not person i look up to which is sad because i used to i really liked her back in the days of the first band that she was in that i just forgot about left my head the dresden dolls but yeah Mm -hmm. but yes she is she is in this this area i don't for me to know i didn't know that i don't judge anyone we all have our own problematic faves everyone's problematic in their own ways in my opinion so I don't judge anyone who does appreciate or enjoy Amanda Palmer. She's just not for me. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the the info. I had no idea. I will be investigating that personally. Okay. So uh, let's see. So when we were first talking, one of th- there are two things that I've found particularly notable that I don't think has been an identity or feature of any of the other guests I've had on the show. I think you told me you are 20 years into your transition, which is super 20 cool. years this year. Yep. That's so amazing. And yeah. you are also indigenous, and there are some indigenous perspectives, perspectives on gender that are very different from white perspectives. And so mm. I would love to hear about all of those things. But maybe we'll start with, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have been transitioned for 20 years. I transitioned when I was 19. Yeah, that math. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait, is that 20 years? Yes, it is. Technically, it'll be 20 years this July. And it's been quite a time. It's been really interesting as the community has changed. And especially since about seven years ago, I stepped away from doing more trans activism as I had done trans activism from pretty much the time I transitioned till about seven years ago. So whatever, the 13 years, ha <laughs> I did quick math. So for about 13 years, and I was just quite frankly burnt out and kind of at the point, like I will, all, I will never sh- shut up about being trans and I will always stand up for things as I see them happening. But being that hardcore where every morning I woke up and my main being was trans activism, it just felt like it was time for me to just perhaps be Brooklyn for a bit and not trans Brooklyn. Just be a person and have a full life. (laughs) And the, yeah, so there's a lot of terminology that I'm not always familiar with anymore because it's been seven years and it has been a transformational, magical 
seven years in my opinion in the trans community and so sometimes people especially since i used to do a lot of trans education so i used to educate hospitals psychiatrists go into schools and talk about trans people and what it's like to be trans and things like that and real perspectives around that so sometimes people will see me as this trans authority and they'll come up and they'll be like what is this and i'm like i don't know (laughs) that's why i don't do this anymore because yeah the community's moved on and i have stayed here yelling at the young trans people to get off my porch. (laughs) Get off my grass! Hey, you there, kids! But obviously I support everyone, all the cool things that are happening out there. I think the the recent one was somebody asking me, oh, what's a demi-girl? I'm like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll go find out myself. And just finding out things like that and being like, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, I love that. I was on a I was invited to a, I don't know if I would call it a board meeting, but some sort of community leadership socialist gathering <laughs> with a, a group, an organization who has like leftist socialist values to do like diversity consulting about their community, their space, their streams that they're doing, et cetera. And, and someone was like, yeah, I'm like the one X identity, insert identity here on the board or on the panel or whatever. And I'm just a person in the community. I'm not like an advocate for the whole community. And so there's a couple of things we talk about. No one person is a monolith of their entire like identity. Like no one trans person can speak for all trans people. So like in general, it's mm. better to have a panel or a council of people with that identity to make a decision for a, a whole group. But we also, I've been realizing more and more, I... I think that there's there's this thing that I've been doing, which is I'm actually trying to do some of that activism stuff. And I imagine there will come a time where I will be similar to you and burn out and be like, okay, I'm done. Go take the torch, young trans people. I'm going to go sit on my porch and drink tea with my wife and learn how to knit or something. Like, <laughs> come a time. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's also something that happens with a lot of diverse communities where allies maybe just expect anyone with that identity to be completely fluent in everything there is to know and just be an encyclopedia encyclopedia Mm. and explain everything to you and so i make a point of i don't know trying to make sure folks know like you can't just expect that of people and you got to ask it in the right space and time and with consent and that's why i have this show Mm. so then we can have the gender talk like at a particular time and place you can come and we can do this thing at this time but then the rest of the time i can just be a person who's alive and not have to do the the teaching all the time Anyway, yeah. it took me a really long time to say. I don't know why. It's okay. <laughs> um, I Yeah, and I still put myself out there as, I guess because I've done years of training and I used to live in San Francisco before I moved to New Zealand and did lots of trainings there. And sometimes the, some of the trainings that in San Francisco were court mandated trans sensitive because San Francisco was the first city to have anti-discrimination laws against trans people. So if you worked, for example, if you worked for the city of San Francisco in any form, it was mandatory that you were, that you had trans sensitivity. And if somebody made a complaint, they would hire someone like me and and my coworkers to come in and, and train them. And the perspective I come from is that there is no question I haven't already been asked. And so... I have I have that armor like just built in. I have that thick skin. So if you want to ask the weird questions, come ask me. Don't ask your new friend who just transitioned. Yeah. yeah come talk yeah, to me. Yeah. Like they don't need it. <laughs> come That's ask great. me and I will tell you that you're an idiot 
and that you don't need to know that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's I view myself in that kind of way. I, I'm unflappable and it's hard to offend me because I've heard and I think recently in one of my just chattings where I was talking about trans stuff I had just some rando come in and say something I was just like that's not even creative like Mm -hmm. I'm like I'm not even I'm offended at this point at how lame how sorry how underwhelming yes how underwhelming that that insult is that's what offends me it offends me that is what you came up with get creative I've been doing this for 20 years I've heard that (laughs) so yeah. We have someone posted in chat. I really appreciate that y'all made me aware it's not my job to educate everyone on being trans. It gets really exhausting, and I'm glad to know mm. that I have the courage and resources to direct people to places to educate themselves. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Trans Griffin. Appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like part Absolutely. of my goal with this talk show is like to c- create the educational resources so then people don't get exhausted saying the same thing over and over. Let's make a video <laughs> and then you can just go watch that. <laughs> it's so yeah, cool. there are lots of people out there who are happy to be trans advocates or whatnot and know those people. And when somebody says, I want to talk, can you explain this? Go, no, but you can send it to them. <laughs> and I also do this thing too, where I, if somebody needs a basic thing, they're like, I don't understand this. So I'll be like, blah, blah, blah. And I give them about 20 minutes of my time and after 20 minutes I go and from now on from this moment on it's $75 an hour thank you yep that's right yes for Um, our time and our energy it's a lot to to do the thing totally yeah so one of the things I wanted to say is to any of the fellow trans people or whatnot in our in they're watching this Please forgive me if grandma says uses some out-of-date terminology <laughs> because I have been out of the scene for a bit. And some of it I still use because it's like that whole the whole debate on queer. I use the word queer. I fought hard to reclaim that word. And another one is M to F. I know that's not the cool term for trans women anymore, but I sometimes still pull it out for myself because it is the the term that I worked through identifying with and came to terms with identifying with. So I don't say these terms because I'm trying to be offensive or and by all means use use what terms that feel comfortable for you. But some of them I really dislike being told what terms I can and can't use for myself, especially at this point where I've been in I've been in the queer community or the LGBTQIA plus two community for more than 20 years, for about 25 years, and lots of uh, words have changed. I will never say that you have to accept the terms that I use as your own, because we all have our own limits, but I do sometimes use some older terms (laughs) because I'm old. (laughs) And it takes a lot of energy to keep updating those definitions in your Mm. head. In my spiritual community, there... There is this whole thing that's happening. I didn't expect to talk about this, but I feel like it's really topical. So I'm in like this feminist, pagan, like anarchist, like love the planet. Everybody works together to lead the thing. Not one person is like the diva at the top of the pile kind of deal. Tradition. Mm. (laughs) Just a lot of words, but it's cool. And there's this like both and where we honor our elders, but we also have explicit statements in our principles of unity that talk about we honor 
all genders, all gender histories, like sexualities, etc. And we also talk about being anti-racist in our POU, Principles of Unity. And so there's this balance that our community is having to navigate where on the, the one hand, we've got the elders that we want to honor. In our case, honestly, it's a lot of white lesbians. White lesbians are like cis white lesbians for the most part. Mm. Those are the ones who were pushing the eco-feminist movement back in the 70s. And so there's a lot of like older white lesbians who were young and hip and fresh in the 70s doing the thing, chaining themselves to trees, like all of that work that they're doing to preserve the planet. And then on the other hand, there's like all of the young trans non-binary folks that are like, can we use... Can we have non-binary deities in our ritual? Does it have to be mm. goddess or can we also have goddex? And so there's like mm. this, how do we have both and? How do we coexist like intergenerationally and have both the lineage and the history, but also the future at the same time? And it's a very delicate thing to navigate, but I think it's really valuable to figure out. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I come from similar kind of spiritual backgrounds. I'm big old pagan. And one of the things I love about a lot of those older religions is gender is not so clear there. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's like this kind of male-female dichotomy is very much a white Christian invention because a lot of indigenous cultures have either gender-neutral deities or deities that change gender or have cultural significance with with alternative genders. As I said before, I live in a Polynesian country, so mm-hmm. the Maori have various different things, the, the Samoans have different things, Native Americans have different things. But even if you look at white culture, Loki is a mum. Like, mm-hmm. Loki is a mother to a child. Technically to a pony, but still, Loki is a mother. Like, the 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 gender this gender thing this like strict gender thing is 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 actually fairly new in major majority of society but is is pretty much a white christian christianity kind of invention yeah oh god <laughs> oh gods <laughs> yeah oh my goodness there's so many there's so many different qu- i don't even what should we talk about next? There's this whole list of great things to discuss. Oh, I don't <laughs> brain know. is overloaded um, with the goodness that's happening right now. Yeah, I, I feel like I keep bouncing around in topics because I feel like we were supposed I to be talking about like... I think we're both ADHD and that's just how it's going to be and I'm okay with that. <laughs> have other expectations. Very... Give me $5,000 to get on meds. <laughs> like my dear friend Candace from Things the Internet says and I like to steal so I have at least three AD- ADHD. I'm at least three. <laughs> I'm quite ADHD. I I have the option for taking medication. I don't always take it because a, a lot of the medications for if you start them as an adult, because I was officially di- I have an official diagnosis. Not that you need a diagnosis to know that you're ADHD or any other neuro- neurodivergent. Totally. But I do have a diagnosis. And so because of that, I have medication. But the problem is there is a point. I'm getting to it eventually. We have to go through the woods. And possibly stop at grandma's house to get there. (laughs) Is that it causes uh, really bad stomach issues. And I was, it just, it causes an upset stomach, not really bad stomach issues. It causes really upset stomach, but I already have really bad stomach issues because of being born premature and other life issues. Look how tiny my hands are. (laughs) I was like a month early. Okay. So. So back in the 80s when I was born, doctors like to make these predictions on your baby, like what they were going to be like. And so like I was born 
three months premature. My mom didn't get to hold me for the first month of my of my existence because I was an incubator. I was in an incubator. I could literally fit inside my dad's hand. When I came home, because yet again, this was the 80s, I couldn't go into a crib because I would fall through the bars. So my first crib was a laundry basket with a pillow and blankets in it. Can a tiny baby Jill? I was so tiny, which is funny. The doctor was like, oh, unfortunately, because she's premature, she's probably going to be quite small and short, lean. And and like, this was the things that they believed about premature babies. And I'm like, and now I sit here, I'm like, I'm six foot. Nice. I'm not lean (laughs) at all. I'm also not very broad. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, none of your things. Oh, and the other one was that possibly cognitively impaired. And I'm like, that's also not true. There are days, but yeah, it was a real interest. It was really interesting hearing that when my mom was like, yeah, you were supposed to be really small. And I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So because of being premature, I have a lot of stomach issues and being so premature, I have a lot of stomach issues and I find the, the ADHD meds are difficult for that. Also, ADHD meds are difficult in general because they're a class A drug. So you can't like in New Zealand, like when you can get a prescription for up to three months, you can't for ADHD meds, you have to get a new prescription every month. And it's just like, what? how am I supposed to remember? How am I supposed to remember to do that? I have ADHD. <laughs> so I tried to make oh them goodness. last as long as possible and use them for good days. Like today. <laughs> Dang. So. Yeah. I think I've already talked about this on the channel a bit in general, but it's like the ADHD makes it hard to get diagnosed for the ADHD. And the other thing that's hard though is also is, is, as adults what's really hard is masking is for many of us we have we've masked our adhd in order to survive and we've learned coping mechanisms and all this other stuff so you go in and your doctor do you forget things and i'm like no and he's oh and i'm like because i write everything down in the book yeah everything gets written in the book so i don't forget things is like, oh if you didn't have the book i'd be like oh no i wouldn't be here right now I'd be like laying in bed going, thank goodness I don't have anything to do right now. <laughs> Meanwhile, five different people who I've all booked to meet at the same time are going, where's Brooklyn? <laughs> so well, yeah. Luckily, uh, we live in such different time zones. I managed to get you at a time that's less high demand in your bioregion, maybe. Yeah. It's not so much that I'm <laughs> high in demand. I, that makes me sound like I'm high in demand. I just like, I uh, maybe it's an ADHD thing. Maybe it's a weird thing. I have favorite times. So yeah. if you're like, oh, do you want to do you want to hang out? I'm like, yes, 1 p.m. Do you want a doctor's appointment? Yes, 1 p.m. I do mm-hmm. everything like 1 p.m. is a good time for me. It's early in the afternoon. I can noodle around in the morning, maybe get some work done. If I have to travel, it gives me time to travel. So it's more of that I'll, I'll book things. And I book everything I don't like to do on a Thursday because I don't like Thursdays. I've never liked Thursdays. I'm very anti-Thursday. <laughs> It's just Thursday is like just right so there sam- sandwiched right between Wednesday, which is hump day and Friday, which is the end of the week. And you just got Thursday in the middle dragging things on. I've always said I don't like Thursdays. I, I hate Thursdays. It's a weird thing of mine, but I hate them. So if I don't have to do if I don't have to do if I if it's something I don't want to do, go to the DMV or talk to a doctor or do anything like that. 1 p.m. Thursday is when I tend to book that mm-hmm. because 1 p.m. is my golden time, and Thursday's not going to get any worse. So, I usually book my appointments on Fridays because that's the day I don't stream. 
So it's ah, go yeah. see your doctor, go see your therapist, take the cat to the vet. It's all on thurs on Fridays. This is but all like, when I to left be the fair, house. Thursday night is my Friday because I don't work Friday. So I don't know. It's like booking things on your Saturday. It's yeah. Know. Oh, someone's commenting. It's essentially Thursday continues to disappoint because you assign bad things to Thursday. So it's like a self-actualizing like prophecy. <laughs> I haven't gone anywhere in a, a year. A year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're pretty lucky in New Zealand when it comes to the whole COVID thing. So we haven't been in lockdown for that much. I think we did a three-month lockdown and then we're soft. But we've been pretty much close to business as as close to normal as possible since last June. Mm-hmm. But what happened is during lockdown when we couldn't leave anywhere, I realized that's my favorite is not leaving the house. And so now I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. So I haven't booked anything on Thursdays in probably about a year. And I still hate Thursdays. There you go. You've done, you've like narrowed it down and now Thursdays are just not the day for you. Okay. We have a lot of things that yeah. we typed out, but there's like at least four, I think, AMA questions. So I want to yeah. go check them out right quick. Which ones are from today? So Grand Chicken Lord asks, maybe I just missed it, but during what years were you educating in San Francisco? I'm also wondering how difficult that was given that some people were there because there were complaints about them. So I was educating in in, in San Francisco. I almost called it Trans Francisco, which is not. Trans Fran- it, I think San we Francisco. should all write hashtag Trans Francisco in the chat now. <laughs> I It was from 2000 to about 2005 that I was a- active there. I started to move out of America around 2005, moved to New Zealand in 2007. How did you do it? Do what? Like, do you have, are you a citizen of New Zealand? Um, How did you get out? (laughs) Are you a multi, uh, like, are your parents two different countries that came, like? I moved to New Zealand to be with somebody. That relationship didn't work out in a romantic sense, but they're now like my single most best friend ever. And we own a house together and they're absolutely my rock and they're amazing. And that confuses a lot of the older generation because they're like, I say all those things and then you got divorced. Why? And I'm like, because there's no love. There's no romantic love. There's lots of love, but there's no romantic love. And yeah, we're both mature enough to go, we can go find romantic love and we'll be best friends. This is great. But yeah, so I did that and they supported me through all of the immigration status and I'm not yet a citizen but I'm a permanent resident of New Zealand so congratulations (laughs) that's amazing yeah yeah um (laughs) basically from my perspective Bush got his second term and I went yo I'm out (laughs) yeah I I I felt similarly about recent (laughs) events and did my darndest to try and GTFO but it did not work uh, it was, it was, it was, I should clarify, it's it a bit more complex than that. The other situation was that San Francisco was changing and I knew that a, a city that I was already struggling to survive in was going to become less, was going to become harder. So this beautiful art scene that was existing was starting to dwindle. Artists were being pushed out by high rents. Tech companies were coming in and rents were even going higher and I just went 
you know what? I can't take on a fourth job. I'm working two full-time jobs plus doing a part-time job. I cannot take on a fourth job because stupidly, my meat suit needs sleep sometimes. And thus, I need to sleep. And yeah, so I started looking at various different ways to get out. And I knew somebody here in New Zealand, as I said, and I did research and I was like, wow, that is a really cool country. I already knew one cool thing about New Zealand, which was New Zealand had the first trans person to be a member of parliament back in the 90s. And I knew that because that made front page news even in my small hick town in America, which the headline was not so great. It was still a headline that made me realize that trans people existed and that there was one in New Zealand. And so I was like, okay, so they must be cool for trans people. That must, and then I did more research and they legalized homosexuality in the 80s. And I was like, okay, so this, I'm feeling good. <laughs> and I moved here and I have never regretted it. I think that it was only once I moved to New Zealand that I realized how much, for me personally, America is. It was the nationality I was assigned to at birth, but not the nationality I identified with. Yeah. <laughs> and distinction. There was a real, like, from about, I was in New Zealand about three weeks, and I went, this is home. Yeah. This is that same, for that, that we talk about that gender euphoria. I had national euphoria oh, at, at, at living here, and I'm, yeah, and this is now my home. So. I. Yeah, I have a deep desire to relocate to a specific country, and it's like on my life goal bucket list to figure that out one day, but it's a multi-year process and takes lots of money, and until my children are of age, like, we're not going anywhere because we have co-parenting responsibilities, so it's, it's like the, maybe one day we'll retire in the country that I would prefer to be in, but for now, here I am. Yeah, I'm lucky I don't have any of that i'm just me i'm unfettered by if i wanted to move to another country right now all i would need is the resources and i the benefit of being a trans person from being very young is i'm used to being poor Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that helps being used to being poor helps is all i have to say because i would say to give you an idea over the 10 years of immigrating to new zealand i've probably put close to $7,000 into the immigration process. That doesn't include like, that doesn't include plane tickets, shipping things here, restart, getting new things once I moved here. None of that's just the cost of immigration. Like the, the paying for residency fees and immigration fees and all the different things that you have to pay. Yeah. Everyone is getting swoony in chat about living in countries that they don't currently live in. <laughs> so I am the worst person to give advice about this because I, I ADHD'd, but I'm always like, if you can just do it, mm-hmm. it's never going to be like, I just jumped. I just, I moved to New Zealand. I had about $500 in savings and somebody who I had met through the internet, but no, had new, I had known them for five years, trusted that they were a pretty solid person. And that's it. I had no exit strategy. I had nothing. (laughs) Not necessarily that I recommend it, but like sometimes you just gotta do it. Yeah. I'm generally one of those people though that doesn't let a lot of fear hold me back. Mm -hmm. We, so my wife and I got married last October and we've 
vaguely been talking about how one day we'd like to have a house. And I keep telling her it's hard for me to dream about it and think about that being a thing in the in USA. I, like we are so far behind on healthcare in general, trans healthcare specifically, and more. I would much rather we just keep renting until we can buy a place mm. where I actually want to dig in and be for a long time. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole. Let, that's a whole let thing. me tell you. Let me tell you. Social healthcare is amazing. I didn't realize how much trauma I carried about healthcare mm -hmm. until I moved to a country like where I could just go to the doctor when I was sick. And it took me years. I was here about, I, I've been here, yeah, so 13 years, going on 14 years. And I think I did my math. I might have done it wrong. I don't care. I've been here quite a long time. And it took me about the first five years to just actually start going to the doctor mm -hmm. because my I I go to a very expensive to one of the most expensive doctors in the city because he's a really cool dude he's really cool with trans stuff he's really trusting and he's really good with my pain management stuff because I've I have juvenile arth it's not really juvenile arthritis anymore I just keep calling it that um, because I think it's just rheumatoid arthritis but I've had it since I was 15 mm. Which is usually, I think, why I, try, I say juvenile to, is to let people know I've had this for a very long time. Yeah, um, you've had a lifetime of arthritis. Yeah, and and to give you an idea, he's like I said, he's the most expensive doc. One of the not the most. I, I think there are more expensive doctors, but I pay fifty five dollars to see him. That's New Zealand fifty five dollars New Zealand. Mm -hmm. You can see a doctor for free. We do have, I think. I don't know where we're at with the tra with trans women bottom surgery, but I know that trans guy top surgery, we have like social, there's a waiting list you can go on to get it for free. Eat yeah. Top surgery. Yeah. They used to move to New Zealand. <laughs> there, there used to be free bottom surgery for trans women. It was a very specific form, only one form and one guy. And I think he's been retired. So I don't know where they're at with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a pretty cool country. Like to be like to go from like roughly nine hundred dollars in prescriptions a month. San Francisco had free ish. Like I got my hormones for free in San Francisco, so mm -hmm. I didn't have to. But I do do know that I've seen the bill for when I was moving here, what the cost of my hormones would have been, mm -hmm. and then moving to here where every prescription, if it's covered by the government, which most prescriptions are covered by the government it's about five dollars a wow. prescription that's so. amazing and most prescriptions are for three months so for example for my estrogen it's five dollars every three months for my progesterone five dollars every three months spironolactone five dollars every three months so, so that's sixty dollars a year to have all of your hrt needs met that's amazing wow mm -hmm. i can't even imagine that <laughs> but it's five but it's five times twelve to keep my brain on track. <laughs> uh -huh. Because I have to get a new prescription every month. So That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh Ninquendo says five dollars barely gets you a band aid in the United States. Yeah, I remember. Like <laughs> the other thing is we have we have ACC here, which is called accident compensation accident compensation something else i don't know it's acc we call it acc it, but basically if you've had an accident 
you're covered. All of your treatment for that is covered. An accident is anything that's not. If you fall down and break your wrist, that's an accident. If you trip over your own foot, it, that's an accident. Anything's an accident. The ladder and, on the hood of your car. <laughs> yeah, that's an accident. Like, and and so yeah, we have pretty cool. I watching the presidential elections and the American elections from afar, and they're like social healthcare. I'm like, is amazing. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh yeah, that's right. Because you guys all make money off your insurance companies. But yeah. So we have, it's, it looks like there's a question for Brooklyn. Is it easy to get surgeries and high importance hospital visits? I've heard that sometimes the weights can be wild. It depends on the importance. I have had a surgery that I had to wait a year for, but it was a kind of minor surgery. I was uncomfortable occasionally and it needed to be fit fixed on the other hand my boyfriend just had to have corneal cross hatching i think it's cross linking mm -hmm. um and I'm, i won't describe it because it's squicky but it's, it has to do with your eye and he went in for his gp general practitioner his mm -hmm. doctor that he works with referred him to the general public system oh, and just... yeah it's actually not an ophthalmologist it's another eye specialist but yeah and that took about three months to get that appointment he went in for that appointment and he had the surgery he just had the surgery which was about a month later i think it was actually a little under a month later and that's all through the social health care there is mm -hmm. the option in new zealand still to go private to get insurance we still have private health care it's not all social health care obviously the other thing is that i come from a perspective of in new zealand i pass as white my boyfriend is white as well race unfortunately does sometimes slow things down class can slow things down mm -hmm. unfortunately because new zealand is still a realistic country it's not a fantasy land where racism right. and classism <clears throat> doesn't exist so it's there's a safety net but there's still yeah. capitalism yeah and racism exactly and sexism and yeah all the other things and I can only speak from my experience, but my experience has been pretty solid from the social health care perspective. One of the things that would benefit from that it, compared to other New Zealanders is that as an American, I'm more prone to speak my mind and be direct, mm -hmm. whereas I, New Zealanders tend to be a more passive kind of people like yeah. overall. And so I've they're less in, likely to- I've been to, in some foreign countries where that's been a thing too. They're, if you're familiar with England, it's very similar to their kind of like very passive. Didn't England um, colonize New Zealand? Yes. Yes, so, they did. I mean, England colonized <laughs> all kinds of places, Canada and a bunch more. Most so, of the world. Yeah. So that like the English culture <laughs> is everywhere. And then the Americans are like the fuck you, England. We're going to do our own colonizing thing over here. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting story of New Zealand has an interesting history with the colonization because originally New Zealand, originally Australia, not Australia, England, originally England wasn't going to colonize New Zealand and they New Zealand had its own sovereignty and was its own sovereign nation and had a treat, had an agreement with New Zealand. And then capitalism happened and a guy sold a bunch of plots here and shipped a bunch of people here to start a new life in New Zealand and the, the the British government basically had to go, oh crap, we need to do something fast. Mm -hmm. And that kicked off an actual colonization process. Mm -hmm. We I 
don't know how history would have gone otherwise they possibly still could have ended up colonizing but originally new zealand there was a shift between the time when australia and america and a lot of the other countries were colonized and when kiwi when england english people came to new zealand and the, that shift was basically in england they started thinking about native peoples with more respect and going hey what if we treated them like people and not savages mm-hmm. that's a concept mm-hmm. so yeah i'm interested to talk more about so one of the things you mentioned is you live in a polynesian country and both maori mm. and samoans have trans narratives in their pre-colonization lives do you know okay. enough about those trans narratives to share some of the stories yeah. or some of the cultural stuff I do. I, I know. I, I know a surface level enough that I would be able to. I feel comfortable talking about them. I'm obviously no no expert, and these are not my. While I am an indigenous woman from an, a Native American tribe, I am not Polynesian. Mm-hmm. So I want to give those caveats. This is just my experience of being a trans person who has done. I have done a little bit of trans activism in New Zealand when I first moved here, and have interacted with Polynesian uh, cultures and. It's really interesting and in that, for example, in the Maori, in the Maori uh, uh, culture, they have, they have a word for trans woman that predates colonization, which is called Thakawa. It's <laughs> W-H-A-K-A-W-A-H-I-N-E. And Thaka means to be like and wahini means woman so to be like woman and a lot of the yet again because of colonization not all maori know this anymore because they have been very heavily christianized but originally Afa was a respected role she helped she was considered outside of the sins of male or female and so could help and assist the the holy men and i i don't i have to apologize i don't know necessarily what their actual terminology for holy men was but or or they could also help and assist chiefs and leaders of their of the various different tribes or the what are called iwis here the various different iwis and so it was a very interesting kind of history Trans men, unfortunately, don't have that history here. And the reverse fakatane, which is, means to be like man, is actually usually reserved for a dominant butch, dominant or butch woman or lesbian. And yet again, that comes from their history of the first person to use the word fakatane was a, uh, for lack of a better term, a princess who the men were either out. I can't remember whether the men were out in a war or most of them had died. And there was a thing that had happened that only men could tra- traditionally do. And she was like, I'm going to be like a man and go get, basically go get shit done. <laughs> mm-hmm. She went out there and did that. And she actually is a, a name of a place here in New Zealand now named after her. That's- and she became known as Fakatani, almost as her her name in, in history. But there's also histories of, there's there's talks about queerness. There's the one of the famous, the greatest Maori love story is about these two, these two lovers. But one of the parts of the story is that she takes on the clothes of 
his male best friend to help seduce him, which historians now think Sounds was because gay. he was quite gay or bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the rela- relationship with his friend is considered a very homoerotic, homo- homosexual relationship. Yeah. And then within Polynesian culture, they have fafafini. And fafafini are an interesting concept in that they are... I'm trying best to figure out how to to describe this. Fafafini in Samoa and Samoan culture is assigned male at birth, not necessarily living as a woman, but feminine and, and or taking the place of a daughter in a family thing. So they're more feminine, more soft. And despite what people think, Fafafini grew up to be heterosexual. They grew up to be gay men. Some Fafafini do transition to become women as they get older. And that is that is is common in in sorry, the train just took off while I was still on on the tracks. Yeah, so Fafafini is a more complex term. There is the as transitioning and being a trans woman is becoming more popular in our not more popular in our society, more accepted, and so more people are transitioning than they have in the past. There is talk on whether a trans woman who was a Fafafini is still Fafafini as a trans woman if she medically transitions. Mm. So would you say Fafafini is some sort of non-binary in-between state? Yeah, yeah. And it's very much a, it can be a transitional state for some people. In some, for example, a heterosexual male might still identify as Fafafini as an adult. He might not. It's really up to the individual. It's a really interesting kind of concept. Unfortunately, yet again, the heavy Christianity that's been pushed through these through these cultures has erased some of this, and they're in the process of relearning it. But but on the island of Samoa itself, it's a bit it's a bit stronger. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking at the questions in the AMA. Oh, to the best of my knowledge, there is. I, I, there isn't a non-binary narrative in Maori culture. There wasn't, there were some things that were only like from a, what they would use as the word, the word Maori would use as tapu, which is like sacred or sacrilegious. For example, like you don't sit on tables, that's tapu here. You don't put your feet on a pillow, that's tapu, or you don't sit on a pillow, that's tapu. These are, they're, I'm just trying to explain it's not what we would consider sacred or sacrilegious in the same way but there were some things like specifically pulling in the canoes that was only for men and it was tapu for a woman to do it and that's specifically one of the things that Fakatane did other than that it was a pretty women worked in the fields women could go to war sometimes it the gender wasn't as strictly binary in the same ways that it that we think of it nowadays where there were things yeah but to the best of my knowledge there was there isn't no non-binary narrative in maori culture i am not very familiar with all of the maori gods i will admit that so there might be that's tends to be where in indigenous cultures that you find in my opinion more of those non-binary characters so i think when we were preparing for stream, the the topic of two spirit came up. Would yep. you say that being two spirit is a specifically like 
North American indigenous person's identity? And can you speak more to that? Yeah, so it, it very much centers from a North American indigenous culture. And not, I don't even know if it's through all of the indigenous cultures of North America, because I think from a white perspective, people tend to think of Native Americans as one people. Right. Yeah, no, it's so... They're not. It's yeah. I like to describe it as more Europe. Various different... The Sioux and, say, the Potawatomi, I, which is I'm Potawatomi, are very different cultures, very different religions and backgrounds and from very different parts of the world and before white people probably would have never interacted that much because the other thing is while native americans were nomadic they're not nomadic in what people yet again people i find that a lot of people think when we say that some native americans were nomadic they think oh they marched from east coast to west coast but it's really they kind of stayed within like I'm from the Potawatomi were from Michigan. They basically stayed within Michigan and that general area, Michigan and Ontario and stuff. But yeah, so Two Spirit, I can speak from my culture that Two Spirit is something that, that we have. And it is the idea that in Native American culture, everything, every single thing, every rock, everything has a spirit. And that spirit is male or female. And two-spirit is this identity that there are people who are born who have both of those spirits with inside them. These are gay people, lesbian people, bisexual people, trans people, and they all presented and lived within the tribe in different ways. But one of the things that I think is really like the Fakawahini, two-spirit was held up a high in uh, Native culture because the benefit of having two spirits within you is that you are you can naturally talk to the female spirits and the male spirits so you can naturally talk to everything within the within the world that you need to encounter with so very commonly they were used they became spiritual leaders or or would assist spiritual leaders or help out with spiritual leaders because they were well respected and yeah and in that way Two-spirit is a very non-binary kind of term, and, and people lived how they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I'm re- I want. I'm always really careful about talking about my native experience because, yeah, as I said before, I I pass as white, and I'm aware of that. I don't put photos of me up in regalia. I don't have a much chance to wear regalia anymore, and I don't even actually own any regalia because bringing any regalia that I would own to New Zealand would be next to impossible because of biosecurity laws. Okay. But if I did, like when I was living in San Francisco, social media wasn't a huge thing. We had MySpace and I would, I don't like to post things like that. And that's yet again, it's a my personal thing of that. I know that there's a potential, there's a potential that I'll be read as white. And I don't want to th- make other people feel like appropriation's okay. Yeah. And yeah. that's my personal stance. Everyone's mm-hmm. different. If I'm not in a space where I can have a conversation about my identity, about how I'm Native, I am actually 50% Native. My mother is Irish. My father is Native. My brother, if you look, if you put him next to me, we don't look related at all. He has a very different skin tone because he very much follows my dad's path. But it is an identity that's important to me. So, I mean, because it's who I am. 
and I grew up very connected to my culture. I my my grandparents lived on the reserva- on a reservation. I would go visit them. I went to powwows and other various events as a child. So I have been to with at the invitation of my indigenous roommate at the time, I have been to some really heckin' cool powwows. Mm. And I have I really like the drumming. Mm. I feel it in my like chest and my body and it it's good. One of the things I like about New Zealand, um just warning, we're getting a little woo-woo for people here, <laughs> is that as a I native person, I feel very connected <laughs> to the earth. And one of the things about New Zealand is because it it is a country that has 60 million sheep and like only 5 million people. <laughs> like, I th- and I think we're actually under 5 million to be really. And for the size of, to give you the idea, New Zealand, because people, because you'll hear all the time in America, oh, but New Zealand is just a tiny little country, a tiny little country. New Zealand is about the size of three Floridas, mm. I think it is. We're actually pretty big. If you're not looking at the, I don't think I have to explain to people that the rectangular map that you see actually is all disproportionate and makes America look really big and Africa look really small and all those other kind of things. But yeah. And one of the places that gets shafted is New Zealand, if we're even on the map. Yeah. If when colonizers make the maps, they draw it real funny. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so because of that, I feel a much stronger connection to the earth. I feel like a lot of the capitalism of America has severed a lot of that kind of spirit from the earth. And often it felt like walking on a corpse. Obviously there's places where that doesn't feel that way, but even here in, in, in New Zealand, even in a, in a city like I live in, I still feel quite connected and I can feel that kind of strength and stuff. Yeah. And that's one of the one of the things I think that made me feel really home here. Yeah. I love the earth being alive. So in my bouncing around somewhere, in my spiritual tradition, we also value not only doing land acknowledgments, but also learning about the cultures of the persons whose land is being occupied and mm-hmm. like financially giving back or giving forward or paying rent. There's a lot of ways to state that phrase. And I just plunked a little resource in the chat here, native-land.ca. It is a way for you to look at where you are on a map and see how many different of these independent nations you're actually, whose land you're occupying simultaneously. Mm. So that's one simple resource to just learn more about where you are. And one day when COVID restrictions lift and everyone's healthy and you're traveling, you can also learn about Mm. where you are when you're somewhere else. So like when people ask me where I'm from, I'm tempted to say like indigenous insert people here place instead of the actual colonizer name. Yeah. In New Zealand, that's a very big thing too. Recognizing the iwi that the, the that has mana and fenua. Mana is the like spirit and power, and fenua is ancestry, uh, that they have connected to the land. And like I said, still a colonized white majority government, so we don't do things as well. But it is definitely becoming even more and more common in New Zealand to be respected. You have to be able to do an introduction in Te Reo Maori. Nice. You can do the rest of your speech in Te Reo Pakia, but you have to do your 
And that includes talking about where you're from and where you harken back to. And the Maori way of introducing yourself is that I'm from, my name is Brooklyn. I'm from, I live in, in this place in New Zealand, which belongs, and this is the rivers and this is the mountains and this is the trees that connect me to my land. And this is my, where my home is. And this is, sometimes this is who my grandparents were, or this is who blah, blah, blah was. And recognizing that we stand here not just as ourselves, but as our history and those who came before us. Those who came before. Yeah. And in the trans community, we I like to do that too. We're standing, I'm sitting here as a trans woman, but I'm also sitting here for all the trans women who came before me. Mm-hmm. All And they go back mo- thousands and thousands of years. And we're constantly finding more evidence of trans people. The goddess Selene, from often had trans women as worshipers because she only had she's one of the goddesses that only had female worshipers and she would have the the wording that was used at the time wasn't trans women but she would have women and she would have men who castrated themselves and lived as women i.e a trans woman and then you had yeah like the history goes on you have castrati from the opera which some of them were forced into that which is awful but some of them willfully chose those roles and some of those people who uh performed as castrati lived day to day as women yeah trans i just yeah and all the way down to the reason we use compute we can use a computer is because of trans women i don't know how many people realize that lynn Conway like invented like the way that we use microchips and computers while working at IBM and she was fired for transitioning in the mm-hmm. 60s and then was forced into living as stealth in order to be able to build her career this is she's literally written the book the the, the textbook on how to work with this kind of chips and stuff and yeah. some technical stuff I don't know unfortunately for her but lucky enough for many of us she in the 90s was outed and so she was going to be outed, but she outed herself instead and then started doing trans activism, which is one of the re- one of the great resources. She used to have this really great um, website that was like famous trans women. And I or it was something better named like that. It might still actually exist, but she was one of the first trans advocates that had stuff on the Internet in the early 90s. And it wasn't porn or it wasn't sensational. Yeah. And even more so if focused on successful trans women who weren't hairdressers, drag queens, sex workers, mm-hmm. etc. And that was one of the pivotal, because when I transitioned, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have, there were a few trans guys. I think there were two trans guys that I knew of that had the GeoCities websites that they were documenting their transitions with. I didn't know of many trans women that had that. We had IRC chat rooms which could sometimes be filled with creepers there wasn't a lot out there it was really difficult i feel really quite lucky that for me personally i knew like Mm -hmm. i just the first time i saw a trans woman which was on jerry springer i knew i saw I, i remember watching jerry springer and this person said yeah i was i was born as i was done i was signed male at birth and I've had all these surgeries and I live as a woman now. And I just wait, you can do that. Yeah. Next day, Brooklyn was born. I think, I love- and I just, it was a very cut and dry thing for me. It's one of the, I respect everyone, but I don't understand non-binary it, as in, it doesn't m- make sense to me because my gender is solid. 
mm-hmm. the female. I respect everyone, and but that was one of the things that I've always been like, well, this is my, this is the person who speaks on non-binary because I don't understand it and I don't feel it's my place to talk about it. Yeah. That's part of why I've been wanting to, one, I switched my overlay from like rainbows to non-binary flag because mm. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of gay people, but there's less of non-binary people specifically. Mm. That's, I'm realizing that's the thing that I do that is not everyone is doing this thing. So I'm trying to lean into that more. But yeah. There's actually like four different threads that I want to pick up on that you've been talking about, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to just, yeah. I like to tell this to give you an idea of how solid like woman and female my identity is that I have these moments where I'll be doing something and I'll be like, oh, I'll sit on genital bits or whatnot when I'm trying to do something. I'm like, oh, how does my blank cis friend deal with this? I should talk to her about how she deals with her bits. And then I go, oh, yeah, that's right. She doesn't have those because mm-hmm. that, that's not normal. That's I just... am, I, yeah, I'm trans, I'm different. And that she is cis and she is different. But I just, I forget that all the time. I used to be married to a trans guy and I you would just forget that other heterosexual couples weren't like us and that they like that the the if one of them got pregnant it wasn't going to be the guy that got pregnant i that's just like how my brain works because i'm just see myself so strongly as female the way i always describe it is I, i've always known i was a woman it just took me um till i was 19 to convince the rest of the world that was true yeah i hear that okay a couple of things so you mentioned the person who invented the computer chips and having to be in the closet and stealth mode and all these different pieces. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to acknowledge that there is actually a really big trend of trans women specifically, I would say, being really good software engineers. And so like my wife is a software engineer at a big name company. You would know the name of if I said it out loud, but I won't because doxing. Mm-hmm. Long story longer, I think there is a lineage of of trans women programmers. There's, mm-hmm. There is uh, something about the way brains are. I think there is a lot of comorbidity between neurodiversity and transness. And often, especially autism brains, maybe also other brains, are very good at the computer thing, like the programming, Mm. the A plus B equals C, whatever, that whole, I am not that, but my wife super duper is. And so she will someday come on my show and talk all about that, I'm sure. So, yes. I love that you brought up Lynn Conway. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know if it's on here, but her web, she had a website back in the nineties. I don't know where, what it was called. I can't remember it, but it was just, it was a great resource for trans women, for me as a trans woman trying to train. Yeah. Trying to figure out what my options were. I will be the first to admit when I transitioned, I had, this was, 2001 2000 Mm -hmm. slash 2001 and I had other trans women tell me that I was too young to know whether I should transition or not and that I should wait five years fuck a lot of that's changed a lot of that has changed thank goodness and I think it was just literally people being too scared that I was too young to understand that that what was required and I was just like you might have needed to wait till you were 40 but I didn't like 
and not that, that not that coming out when you're 40 is is bad like you should come out whenever you're ready and it's never too late but i really it was really rough and then the other thing i had because i was young and i was on hormones so young i had this great thing where i was really passable mm-hmm. and the hatred that I would get from other trans women was really probably some of the hardest that I'd have to deal with because you'd go to so in San Francisco there's two there were two trans clinics that you could go to and I went to one of the two trans clinics and it was a specific day you saw there were a few doctors who did it it was the undercover way to get onto hormones because you didn't have to go see a psychologist and everything else Mm and you could just and you the best thing for me was that it was free (laughs) and you would i'd walk down the halls and and just would have this muttering of fish behind me which was just the worst feeling i mean it's one of the things that i've always i vowed very young that i would never if i ever had a community or if i was ever working with trans people that i would never let a fellow trans person feel that they were under attack from me for being whatever type of trans they were whether it was prettier than me or more masculine than me or more feminine than me or more talented than me because it was a real it was really hard to feel like some of your greatest some of your biggest enemies were people who should be allies Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm reminded of how like internalized sexism and the way the patriarchy has set up at least the american workplace how like cis women particularly will infight and tear each other down because Mm. it's like only one cis woman can get ahead in any one company because there's like the token one spot for a cis woman and there's that it's like there's not enough room for everyone and so when we can let go of excuse me when we can one month on tea my voice is going to do that for months when we can let go of the scarcity mindset that there's only enough room for one of us and start supporting Mm. each other like that's when real change happens right if the united states wasn't so caught up in race wars right now if we were having a class war we would win Mm. like the 99 percent would kick the one percent's butt so hard and we're being so distracted and drawn down by the very important conflict we're having about race and racism like black lives matter we absolutely need to support all people of color not just black people especially stop asian hate all of that too yes and the one percent is really glad that we're distracted by this other stuff because it means we're not and they'll keep us distracted yeah and they'll they'll keep us get distracted and they'll keep us hating the other people they'll try to continually turn the black and BIPOC community against the queer community. They'll try constantly try to turn the LGB against the T. Yep. It's, it's what they do. And it's yep. it makes sense because if we are all busy fighting each other with infighting and backstabbing, we don't realize that we're not a minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like once if you can get the black and the BIPOC community together and the trans community and the gay community and the neurodivergent and the disabled community all together and more communities that I am forgetting because I can't think of them right now but if you got them all together you'd realize that it's like a very stacked fight against the majority Mm -hmm. of society people in power totally Mm. and that's why like leftist politics and like 
mutual aid is such an important thing, like at least especially in the United States, like our healthcare system is completely broken. And so we have to do mutual aid. We have to take care of each other because the government isn't going to do it. And there's a lot of leftist organizing, and I have some pals who are more deeply, that's their special interest or special focus or topic. And I, I try to do what I can to show up in their community and educate about trans, because that's my, like, trans and non-binary is my special topic. And so, like, building bridges between these communities and interacting with each other and advising each other and supporting each other in the ways we can, the more knowledge there is out there, the better we can do. Like, I know last year there were a bunch of use your body, go be in person, like protests happening in the middle of pandemic. I'm disabled. I am non-binary. I like physically, I am not that strong. I am not that resource to Mm. go stand and hold a sign. And so I realized what I can do is a lot of the online organizing. I can educate people, share information with people. And so I've been working really hard on cross-educating folks. That's the thing that I can do. Not everyone Mm. has money. Not everyone has like a super strong body, but there's other stuff we can do. And I just want to encourage all the comrades out there Whatever your level, whatever the thing is you can do, just do one blessed thing. Just one. I don't care if you believe in God or not. It's fine. Just blessed. Like one thing, one one small action, mm-hmm. even if you can do it once a week, once a day, like helps us liberate all peoples from oppression. And if you have even like any type of platform or any type of privilege, if you are white, lift up the black voices. Make yep. sure that they're like, I'm big on 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 amplifying voices mm-hmm. of those who I can't speak for, yep. but also knowing when it's my turn to speak. Mm-hmm. It is my job to educate my racist relatives, mm-hmm. like not my BIPOC fam- friends. And if I know I have racist relatives, it is then my job to, e- if they refuse to be educated, to keep them away from my BIPOC friends because they don't need that shit. That's right. But I'm big on it. A retweet takes two seconds. It does. Quote tweets take five. Amplify those voices around you. And and if you don't have voices around you to amplify, find them. Find some. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because it's the good thing to do, but because you are so much richer, the div- more diverse voices that you have around you, the more diverse in ability the more diverse in race the more diverse in sexuality and gender it's it will always highlight heighten your own life yeah oh this is so such a good and juicy conversation i'm having such a good time so one thing that someone said a couple minutes ago Mirami said i'm incredibly lucky to have had the opportunity to take a language class with local first nation elders and would recommend folks to see if there's anything like that available. It's an incredible way to learn through Mm. culture, through language. So one way to decolonize oneself if you are white or not indigenous and some form of colonizer, because colonizers come in many colors, not just white. Learning, learn learn the languages, keep them alive. I love that you shared Brooklyn about introducing yourself in Maori. Mm. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, and use the understand the languages that people use for themselves and what they mean and stuff. One of my favorite things is that Maori means basically normal, or as my myself. So like we use this word Maori. That's this indigenous Polynesian tribe when they're just like, we're the normal ones. You're the weirdos who moved here. And New Zealand is pretty lucky that they had a, that that we have one treaty 
And over time, it's being more and more reinforced. But yeah, learning the language is, I really want to second what uh, that person said, because it's also really important, for example, as I said before, my race, my nationality is Potawatomi, is the, is the tribe that I belong to. And about 10 years ago, there were like 10 people who knew the language. Like a lot of these, a lot like Cherokee. Yeah. That one's not going to die. It was written down, but a lot of languages weren't written. A lot of native languages were not written down and they're only being written down now because we're trying to save them because they didn't have Bibles written for them. That's the big, like as much as I hate colonization, cause I do. And especially the Christian evangelical kind of colonization that happened the one benefit of that is that in order to convert these people you had to write a bible in their language Mm -hmm. and so languages were were written down Uh, but a lot of languages haven't been written down find out what your local nation would be and see if they have language courses or a lot of them are going online nowadays and they even have pronunciation charts and dictionaries there's a wealth of knowledge online. Educate yourself on on who whose land you're on or who the protect natives tend to th- or at least my tribe tends to, t- to talk about protectors of land. We don't believe in land ownership. Yep. Very different to Maori. We don't really believe in land or ownership either, but they definitely believe in a connection to a specific part of land. And yeah, find out whose land you're on cuz most likely unless you're from Europe or England, you're probably on someone else's land. Mm -hmm. And they have stories about that land. Learn about what, learn about things like Mount Rushmore, which was a sacred mountain to Native Americans at one point. And it was deeply protested that it be turned into some tourist trap of four mediocre white guys. Learn that stuff. That's a really good way to start. And I think it's really important. Not everyone who came to America came of their own free will or are part of our active colonizers. But if you are not native, you are part of colonization. If you're in New Zealand, in America, you were part of that. Yeah. And for the love of God, stop celebrating Thanksgiving. Yes. And Columbus Day. Stop. Hmm? Just stop. In what was the other US, one? Yes, we have Columbus Day as well, which is yeah. even worse than Thanksgiving. Mm. Oh, just learn about the truth behind Thanksgiving. The first Thanksgiving was celebrating the bloodshed of Native Americans. The very first time in American culture, the words Thanksgiving were used. I think the second time too. The third time might have been close to what you've been told in school. But there's a really good, just in general, there's a really good book out there to start with which is, I think it's like everything I wasn't taught in school. And it basically tells you about all the lies you were told in school because you were told a lot of lies. America is a big propaganda machine. And there's a lot of American propaganda that you'll be like, guess what? The Wright brothers weren't the first to fly a plane. They were the first white people to fly a plane. I want to mention that there is a movement in the United States to rename Columbus Day Indigenous Persons Day or Indigenous Mm -hmm. Peoples Day. And I've definitely seen when the day comes around in the fall, like there's artwork, there's flyers, there's things that go around. And so that's at least what we observe in my household. 
Okay, doing a stretch. Doing a stretch. Oh. Okay, so there's like at least three different things that I have written that we could talk about, but is there anything mm. top of your mind that you were grooving on you want to continue to talk about? I'm happy to go wherever you or chat wants to go. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that I've been up to lately is I realized that I have all this like cool information because we talked about how not every trans person is going to be a trans advocate. And so mm. I realized like not everyone is spending their whole day thinking about this stuff and like finding resources. And so mm. I have started like writing these little blurbs and either tweeting them and or finding appropriate channels and people's discord servers to plunk them in. And mm. I, I quickly found myself with a bunch of eggs <laughs> Trans eggs, yeah. neurodiverse eggs, all the eggs. I have Everyone's to... like, I might be this thing. And I'm like, oh, yay. I have to say that I had never heard of that term until probably about three, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how, how long it's been in use, but I absolutely love it. I love the little egg yeah. thing. There's even a subreddit oh. called Egg IRL, where <laughs> you can go look at like memes by trans people who are like I'm new at being trans or maybe this person will eventually realize they're trans and it's adorable yeah. yeah so one of the one of the things we did over the weekend which is why I worked all weekend essentially is we made four new questioning channels for folks who are trying to figure themselves out it's all that yeah it's so cool I think I was gonna help and then I realized that you had done it all while I was asleep so it's all good different time zones like you do so currently we have questioning gender questioning sexuality questioning disability and questioning neurodiversity so if you think maybe it applies to you but you're not sure and so you don't feel comfortable like taking up space in like insider spaces we actually have just made those spaces for you to come and share your story and our the main uh, the main piece of writing that we ended up doing is talking about how like we're not here to diagnose or label folks like we're here to listen to your experiences mm -hmm. and share our experiences and like everyone gets to label or identify or not label as they prefer and no one's mm -hmm. here to like police or like tone police or like gatekeep and tell mm -hmm. you what you can and can't do we believe very strongly in self-identification self-diagnosis because of how gatekeepy like healthcare can be not everyone yeah. has the money to go get a formal diagnosis of whatever so Anyway, so that's a whole new thing that we're taking on. If you are questioning or if you are really solid in your identity and want to do some like direct community support and love up and embrace those who are at the beginning of their journeys figuring this stuff out, please join our Discord server. The information is in my link tree and I also just plunked it here in the chat. It's We're having some really juicy conversations in a good way already. It's very cool. Yeah. Okay. So one question we had a couple weeks ago that I haven't answered yet on stream, and I also don't know if you let me know if you feel like this is one you would feel comfortable answering, or if you feel like mm. you don't know, is some folks wonder if they are ever too old to start transitioning. Do you have any thoughts on the evolving gender understandings later in life not that you're ancient or anything but just like i there's at I least one it. person in my community who's in their 50s and they're like i'm too old it's mm. too late to start now and i disagree with them but i'm also in my 30s so what does my word mean to them nothing <laughs> so if we go with the, the whole egg philosophy which we're going with 
my hatchlings, my fellow hatchlings. Sorry, my weird, my voice just did a weird, like, high-pitched squeak. I don't know what that was about. But my fellow hatchlings that transitioned with Rolf thing around the same time were all women who were in their 40s or 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that accurate? Sorry. I have to, like, filter through young person brain of everyone over the age of 25 is ancient and near death's door. I don't know if you thought that same thing. <laughs> but I'm going back sometimes. I'm like, wow, they actually weren't that old. They were <laughs> but yeah. in my head, I was like, wow, they're so old. <laughs> they were people that were transitioning at the same time. And and that was actually more common when I transitioned. When I Back when I transitioned, there were no resources for young people transitioning. Mm-hmm. There was no understanding for young people transitioning. And I feel like we've gone the opposite way because when you transition as an older person, even in your 30s, it's a different set of risks. You have a more established life that you're potentially going to lose, for example. Real but thing. my personal for philosophy sure. in general is that you're never too late to do anything ever. Like there are people, there are fashion models who started fashion, mo- started modeling in their seventies and they're on runway shows. Like I know several other trans women who have transitioned in their 50s 60s currently my thing is there's no tomorrow like there's no guaranteed tomorrow so how do you want to live the rest of your life if today's your last day do you want to live it authentically and being happy or do you want to just hide more and that's ultimately a decision that every person has to make for themselves and fair enough if you want to hide for the rest of your life because you know what being trans isn't a walk in the park like i love it i absolutely being trans has been just one of the most amazing things for my life and has opened so many doors that i don't think would have normally been opened but it is rough at times and it is difficult especially for trans women in our society it can be really hard we don't like male assigned people at birth who are feminine our society doesn't like that yeah giving up social power and why would you ever choose that because it's not a choice yeah and because we also deride anything feminine it's actually that's a whole nother side topic as a game of thrones fan like the way that the fandom treated sansa stark who i thought was a very powerful strong character in a feminine way compared to like your fighting characters we don't like femininity and we don't like seeing femininity as anything but weakness Mm -hmm. um, which i don't think is true in my opinion but in the long run like it's it's never too late to do anything and one of my favorite things to bring up about this thing and whenever people are like oh it's too late it's too late samuel l jackson is our highest grossing actor just like the highest grossing he has made Mm -hmm. his movies have made 27 Mm -hmm. billion dollars Like he is the single, when we look financially, the single most successful actor that we have had. Yeah. And he never was in a movie till he was four. I love that. Also, I love that you know that. His first (laughs) movie. I'm turning 40, so I have this big thing and I've just restarted a career and and I'm starting. So I've also like people who got, like Vera Wang is one of the most successful wedding dress designers out there right now. Like, most people who know things about wedding dresses know Vera Wang. She's very well known. Yeah. She didn't start her own label till she was 40. Or I think 45. It's never too late to start 
it's never too late to start in my opinion it's never too late to start over whether that's career-wise it's never too late to follow your dreams because every day forward is better and for me personally i can like i said i can only speak from my perspective the benefits that have come from living my authentic true self vastly outweigh the negatives that come with being trans i love that thank you so much for sharing on that topic yeah i think it's an important one because i think like i said it's a real interesting shift because like when i transitioned finding young people who had transitioned and finding resources for young people and trying to explain to older people who had transitioned when they were older that our needs were different trying to explain like yeah we both might lose our house but one of us has a career and ability to make money and one of us is 15 (laughs) like those were big deals back then but now it seems because so many because as our society has shifted and become more acceptable an overall more acceptable place for trans people um and queer people in general more and more people are coming out younger and we're supporting more and more people younger people who haven't gone through puberty are able to go on puberty blockers until they can transition medically transition at a later date exactly like give the kids puberty blockers if they ask for them for serious like even if they change their mind later and they decide to just have whatever they're assigned at birth puberty later in life it's gonna be okay just give them yeah it's gonna be fine (laughs) the biggest thing that normally gets affected is height and guess what being tall isn't not necessarily that great and people are short without puberty blockers yeah i just yeah there's yeah would i yeah, I would love to not have to have shave, not have to shave every day because I didn't have to go through male puberty. I would love to have a lower voice. I'm really lucky that I'm one of the. I had a very androgynous, curvy body beforehand. Like my parents grew up like constantly. Like from, if somebody same came up from or saw me from behind, they'd be like, "Oh, is that your daughter?" And my dad would be like, "That's my son." And I'd be like, "About that." Eight um, cracking sounds. <laughs> I mean, yes, protect I was, I was very, I was a very strong-willed child. I'm the oldest. There's a thing about premature kid children. Apparently, our premature kids are very determined and strong-willed, because you have to be determined and strong-willed to to survive uh, being born premature. Mm-hmm. And I would say that was very true of me. And I remember being the first time I had a gender talk to me was when I was about five, five or six think i was five and me going up to my mom and put one hand on my hips and being like mom i've got something to tell you and she's like what's that i'm like i'm a girl and my mom being like that's not how it works and i'm like and i still remember going i'm pretty sure it works that's how it works like i know i'm a girl so i'm a girl that's how it works and my mom had the gender talk boys are this and girls are this and i still remember thinking going that was a really interesting talk what why what was that talk for not connecting that my mom was trying to correct me i was like okay that's cool i'm still a girl like i don't get yeah and i have lots of funny stories about like me being and identifying and thinking i was a girl as a kid like my mom's not very good my mom is a very non-personal person she doesn't like getting into personal topics she doesn't like talking about biology and body and stuff like that and so she would remember but my family were also very open we didn't there was trigger warning some kind of social abuse stuff going on in my household with my dad who had a lot of control issues so we didn't have doors in any of my house 
only my parents had doors and this includes the bathroom so my poor mom just was used to kids hanging over her while she was trying to go to the bathroom and because of that i had a very young experience with tampons and and pads and i remember asking my mom oh what's that curious child probably about it was after the first one so somewhere between six and seven seven or eight going oh what's that what's that for and my mom in typical my mom fashion was like girls use them when they bleed that's it Mm -hmm. that's all like cue about five years of me sticking maxi pads in my underwear every time i skinned a knee i'm going i don't get how this works but okay it must be some kind of like magic potion for girls that stops them from bleeding i don't know so magic potion yeah it was a time it was it was a whole myth okay so the next question that's adjacent so if you feel like you've already answered it we can move on but the next one is what coming out advice do you have for folks coming out today go at your own pace come out when you need to come out i will never like and i don't think anyone should judge if you never come out to a certain family member that's fine if you have a old-fashioned great-grandmother who you talk to once every three years and you're fine with her using the wrong pronouns or whatever during that time period that's fine that's up to you it's also okay to cut people out if you don't want to come out to them in my opinion if you know someone's going to take something badly yeah also biggest cheat this is my cheat if you have a large family come out to the gossip first <laughs> she'll do all the rest of the work for you Protest. and by the time you've met your aunts and uncles they all know and they've been discussing it for months so you don't even have to come out to them come out i came out to my although it, i have known this to backfire because it'll be like you'll come out to the go- i know at least two people who came out to the gossip expecting them to then gossip and it's the one time that they're like okay this is the secret i can keep like no i came out to you because you don't (laughs) keep secrets (laughs) but yeah i came out to my gossipy aunt first and let her do all the other work there are some family members i have never officially ever come out to i i I assume the word got there eventually and that just in general and this uh, this kind of goes with coming in and out or just being trans or just being neurodivergent or whatever you don't owe anyone any relationship i don't care whether they spent 45 hours giving birth to you or they worked 50 hour days to give to to feed you you don't owe anyone a relationship and if that person in the long run is going to be awful and crappy to you mm-hmm. cut them you can love somebody and respect them while disagreeing with them and not having them in your life yeah and yeah do it sometimes those people will come back to you and be like i realized i was a jerk and sometimes you'll never hear from them again and in my opinion that's a bonus yeah yeah and come out to the people like there will be people that you will understand come out to them first that's usually easier also I know this is I came out to the people that were I thought were going to be hard to come out to by letter you could do it by email just send them an email just and then ignore the mail for the nice thing about is if you do it by by mail it's a lot easier to ignore their response letter you're not getting left on red you you like you could just be like like you're like oh so grandma replied 
just going to leave that card over there till I'm feeling a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recommend a book uh, ending for difficult conversations of any variety, but especially this. Have your buds who understand what's going on support you and have a check-in before. Have the conversation or read the letter, whatever, and have that person or a person available to check in after and plan that all ahead of time. Yeah. It's just basic emotional self-care, like plan- bookend. Have your community yeah. support you. Don't do it alone if you can help it. And I guess the other thing I would say from my own personal experience is be prepared to be surprised. And uh, my own personal experience, yet again, with my mother, who, as I told you before, is an A-plus communicator. <laughs> A-plus. She, I sent her a letter. Two months later, no response. So, sent her another letter. Two months three months, four months, no response. So I sent her a third letter, which I finally got a, a call going, I get it. Stop sending me the same letter over and over again. I'm like, but you didn't say anything. Like we talk on, like clarification, we would talk on the phone between letters occasionally and she never said anything. So I was like, blah, blah, blah. and she's like, but what did you want me to say? It changed nothing. You're my eldest child. I love you. And I was like, oh, okay. Here's an idea. You could have said that. <laughs> yeah, be prepared. And, and my mom grew up very Catholic. I thought for sure she was one of the ones that was going to have a harder time with it. In that, I think the final thing is acceptance and understanding. Don't like someone can accept you and not understand. And I think that it's really easy to be like, they don't understand me, thus they don't accept me. Mm-hmm. My mom accepts me completely, but she doesn't understand and she never will. Yeah. You know, no matter how many different ways I've tried to explain it to her, she'll never understand. And that's fine. Because you know what? At the end of the day, it's my life and I'm the only one who has to understand it. Yep. And sorry. And just one, one other thing is that don't let anyone else tell you what is or isn't okay for you to come out or the way you interact with the people you come out with or the way you interact with people that knew you before you transitioned at the end of the day those are your boundaries to make and no one else has to understand them and yet again this is coming from a perspective with my mother my mother still calls me by my birth name i don't like you don't like um, i don't use dead name in this case she does call me by my birth name and that's because my mom fought really hard to both keep me as a child she had me very young I, I was conceived out of wedlock and she fought really hard against her Catholic father to keep me both first as a pregnancy and then as a child. And she fought really hard with my dad who has like worst taste in names ever to have my, to get my name, to be my name. If it was up to my dad, I would be Ebenezer Conrad and no one deserves that name in no my one. opinion. Your dad should uh, just rename himself Ebenezer Conrad. I mean, he and my siblings that, but his firstborn, <laughs> Ebenezer Conrad. I was like, where's that? What? what is this name? I think Brooklyn Michelle um, is a delightful name. Yes. <laughs> like, my, I want to be clear. If we're out in public, if you were ever to meet me with my mom, it's Brooklyn and it's she and it's her. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize in my case, I will always be my mom's baby boy that she fought mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. and I'm not willing to take that away from her and it's not important to me to take it away from her she respects me she loves me and that's what I that's what I need from her 
And I get, I when I've discussed this in the past, I've had people who have critiqued me over it. And I'm like, you know what? It's my life. I'm the one who has to be happy with it. And so I, I don't care that you think it's rude that my mom calls me by my birth name or my dead name. I don't care. Yeah. That would be my other thing. And this that just goes with everything in transition. So like another example is because I haven't had any lasers to remove my, my facial hair or anything like that from a combination of being poor and ADHD, meaning I never make any appointments to see how much it'll cost. So I got really into shaving. Like I have fancy, I have a little fancy shaving brush and I get a little fancy mm -hmm. shaving soap and I have a nice fancy razor. I don't think that makes me any less of a woman or anything like that. And if you do, I don't care. Don't be afraid to enjoy the things that you have to do. If you have to shave every day, then feel free to enjoy it and get the fancy stuff. It doesn't make you more masculine to, to do it the old fashioned fancy way. Yeah. If you are assigned female at birth and you enjoy wearing fancy bras, but identify as trans guy, do it. Don't let anyone try to tell you that the things that you enjoy make you any less or not less trans because I will dub the trans. I dub all the who think they are trans. You are trans enough. You, you are enough. To, you don't have to have dysphoria <laughs> to be trans. You don't have to be on HRT no. to be trans. You don't have to have a new name to be trans. There's no, mm. there's no prerequisite. If you're trans in your brain, you're trans. Done. Exactly. If you think you're trans, then you're trans enough. Yep. If you feel trans, you're trans enough. I just, yes, yes. I think another one that you to pick on is dysphoria. I don't have any of the typical dysphoria. I don't, I'm happy being naked. I don't have any genital dysphoria. I don't have any of that. My dysphoria, for the most part, it's in the things I can never can change. Like, I have huge dysphoria about the size of my hands. I have huge dysphoria sometimes about how big my feet look. And unfortunately, there are no surgeries for either of those things. My wife I have has the huge, same issue. Like I, I have way more bigger problems with the, the size of my, how wide my shoulders are most days than whether I have a penis or not. Mm -hmm. Sorry. If that's a it's okay. TM, you know. <laughs> so instead of saying uh, you're pre-op, would you say you're non-op? Yeah. Mostly from laziness and indecision. <laughs> I've no. never decided that I am not getting an operation. It's sure. more, I've never prioritized saving for it. And I can never quite decide whether I want to have it or not. And it's just that ADHD thing. Like I get caught in the decision. Like what? if I have the surgery and I don't like it, I can't go back. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm okay. Most days. Actually, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. And yet again, being living in America, being quite young, being quite poor, I also had a lot of real talk with myself of using the numbers. Th these numbers are probably out of date, so please don't come at me. But I was looking at hundred grand US to have surgery. Yeah, it's somewhere around and seventy I, to eighty k for bottom surgery now. Yeah, and I was just like, unless I start doing heavily illegal things, I'm not going to get that kind of money. Like I just not I might have seen that much money in my lifetime I probably have but and so I just kind of was like I guess I better like I guess I better start liking this because I'm just the kind of person that if this is what I'm stuck with then that's fine but I'm not gonna hate it every day because that's just a waste of energy yep. yeah 
And it's the same reason I've never, I've never done any vocal therapy, mostly because I was raised by feral lesbians in San Francisco. Actually, they'd be offended that I called them lesbians, but they use the D <laughs> word. Some, they use the D word that some people, some of the younger yeah. generation consider a slur. I don't, they don't. San Francisco riot girl lesbians very much don't like being called lesbians. And at least in my experience from when I was growing up. And so I would go to, I went to my, I went to the two vocal therapy classes and I went, this is a bunch of sexist bullshit. I'm out. That was my personal opinion of it. What year was it? Ah, 2000. Okay. 2002. And there was a lot of, in order to be believed as a woman, you must make every sentence a question. And this is still the days where there were some gen- like in the early 2000s to give you an idea of how things moved on there were trans women who lied about being attracted to women because there were some psychologists that would not give them hormones or let them transition if they thought so they were going to be a lesbian they were co-mingling gender and sexuality which are two completely um, separate things it wasn't that they were co-mingling them. They just, there was this belief that, yeah, that that a real trans women, yeah, that real trans women were heterosexual and would be attracted to men after transition. And also I have, I had at least heard one therapist say, I'm not going to make any more gay people. We fix gay people. We don't make them. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. That's the main reason I've never done it. And I'm pretty lucky that I was a very camp person before. Like I have people are like, oh, how have you changed the way you behave or act or talk since you transitioned? And my answer is zero. Yeah. <laughs> and this is how I've always been. Do you think I I have questions now about like possible like neurodiversity and like the effort it takes to mask or like choosing to mask, choosing to not mask and how that might have crossover mm. with trans stuff and trying to mask and pass as cisgender versus just being really very trans and in everyone's face about being trans just by existing yeah. not even necessarily by getting in someone's face just uh, yeah i think that the, for me there's a, a huge connection i just i knew other young trans people who were transitioning at the same time as me who were trying to go stealth and i just would look at them and go it's been 10 minutes since we woke up and I'm already exhausted thinking about all yeah. the things you have to do just to hide that you're trans. Yeah. I, I'm going to wear my shirt that says, I'm sorry, is my penis, is my dick too long for this skirt and just be me. So <laughs> That's amazing. It was my favorite shirt. It was my- I to wear it, but I still want it. <laughs> I had another one. I had another one that said... <laughs> Hey, handsome, what are you scared of? That mine's bigger than yours? That's ah, so good. Oh, uh, I have to say, like, some of the trans shirts that we had in the early 2000s <sighs> were, were pretty, pretty great. Fashion it, show and, like, taking selfies <laughs> in these shirts if you still have any of them. And, like, I don't know. I've, so I've passed them on. As I passed them on to other trans people who I was like, this is more you now. But yeah. And I, I think that was, like, a big part of... A big part of it was growing up where, I, like, in transitioning, where I transitioned and in a place that was so accepting. And I had so many strong icons around me and just badass women. I was just very much, this is who I am. You don't like it where the door is. Yeah. And I would say things like, you can, if you don't like it, you can, I'd say you can suck my, but that would be a privilege you don't deserve. <laughs> like, That's right. Um, it's like saying fuck you is, oh, but I wouldn't though. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, and I think that there's... Yeah, and I think that... I'm a big proponent of... If you take something on... And you make it something you're proud of... Or you make it something that is who you are... Then it can't be used to hurt you. I like that you people would shout out the T word... Which is a word I don't like. Both I don't like the T-R-A-N-N-Y... And I don't mm-hmm. like the, the, the S-H word. Mostly because I don't like the exotification that those words come with. And as somebody who was mentally screwed up massively by the fetishization that trans women go over i like took me like most of the 10 years of my transition to unravel the effects of fetishization on me as a young person i i really dislike any of those kind of words but people would shout them out at out me at a car and i'd be like a plus do you know your colors too like how many fingers am I holding up? Are, are we, is this some kind of test? This is, this is basic. <laughs> this is basic knowledge. Yeah. My favorite. So I went through a really like androgynous phase on trying to find where I felt with femininity and playing around with my gender when I was younger. Never not identifying as a woman, but playing around with the different ways that a woman can present in this world. And my favorite was when I used to have I the very hip. 2000s like the wall the really short back and sides but then you spiked up just the front mm-hmm. like boy band hairstyle and yeah. wearing mini frosted mini tips. skirts yeah yeah i didn't do the frosted tips because i do have some taste right no offense to anyone who had frosted tips but doing various different things and, and playing around with the way i could present myself as a woman and i remember one time when i was in that kind of like phase and I had those jeans that we had that I had when I was younger that they were more holes than jeans they really were just seams with pockets and this guy was, was like F slur D slur and then he walked away like he was such a and it was one of my favorite moments he was so confused he was like, I don't know whether you're a gay man or a gay woman or actually now I have so many questions I'm just gonna walk away I kind of regret engaging with you at all and I was like, I didn't say a thing. This is great. This is a great comeback. You just did all the work for me. Yeah. It is five here. Yeah. And while we could talk about these other two questions, is there anything else? I have one more short thing to share at the very end, but is there anything else that you feel like you really want to make sure you say before we wrap up for the day? This is so much Just fun. go out. Just go out and be be your weird self now i had a place in my life where i walk around as a trans victorian ghost i wear almost exclusively victorian style clothing i wear a corset every day and just live your weird truth the more you own your weirdness and everything that makes you uniquely you the more people will love you and find you and just just do it just be it yeah uh a while ago i don't know how many minutes because I have no concept of time. A while ago, we were discussing the importance of of acknowledging your ancestors. And Mm. when you introduce yourself, you include that ancestor piece because it's part of where you've been. And I wanted to share this video with folks. So Trans Capybara, my wife and I, who Trans Capybara is a trans woman, share her pronouns. We got married back in October 
during pandemic, so there's very few of us there. But we managed to get a video recording of our wedding. It's I would say it's low production. It was all just shot on a cell phone. We didn't have fancy mics or multiple camera angles. But we there is a part of so our ritual is very like witchy pagan thing, which we've already talked about a bit in our stream today too. But there is a part of the ritual where we invite our trans ancestors to come and bear witness to our ritual. And I think it's important that people in the queer community broadly who have been so harmed by spiritual practices and religion in general as practice because it's a form of oppression. I just think it's important for folks to know it's possible to have some sort of spirituality or meaning making device in your life. It's possible to have uh, ritual and kind of make sense out of things. And mm. I just offer our 33 minute entire wedding video, the whole thing was 33 minutes, as a little morsel of like wholesome trans joy that you can tuck in your pocket and know that it is possible to have joy and like love in your life if you're a trans person. My, my wife came out when she was 40-ish to jump back to that age question and lost a marriage, lost a house, like lost three quarters or four fifths of her time with her kids and had to go through puberty and all of the things. And at this point, the almost fairy tale ending that both of us are getting to live together today is we've, we're two, some flavor of trans, right? I'm not binary, not trans binary, but two trans mm -hmm. people who have fallen in love and have a beautiful life together. And we're getting to do the things that we love and it's really beautiful. And because we're so like solid in our, our connection and I don't feel like I'm going to lose my significant other because I'm trans and a month on T and all of this other shit that mm -hmm. trans people have to go through. Like we, we have this opportunity to hold space for the trans community, for the non-binary community, for the questioning people, the little baby eggs who are like, I don't know what's mm -hmm. going on. And please, if you decide you want to, no pressure, but please enjoy our trans joy and mm -hmm. remember your ancestors. I just, I just want to add to that as also, I'm a very deeply spiritual person, and as I mentioned previously, I'm, I'm now divorced. I had a very successful marriage, it just wasn't a long-term one, and I was married as a trans woman to a trans guy, openly, in a church, by a minister. That's amazing. So, it's, there are, there's space in all faiths for trans people if you find, if you're willing to look for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to seminary as a lesbian. I wasn't trans yet, but I was les I was. I didn't know I was trans. That's actually what I meant to say. And I went to the gayest seminary I could find in Berkeley, California. Mm. You've maybe even heard of it if you were in San Francisco for a while. And so I resolved the whole you can be gay and Christian thing. Like I was like, nope, that's fine mm. now. And then I was like, but actually I'm witchy. And later, oh, but also I'm trans. And so the, <laughs> the identity kept evolving past that. But there is resolution for that, too. And not every year, it's cool to be atheist too. Totally fine. But just so you know, yeah. like spirituality is an option. Humans are meaning making creatures. And I'm not telling you which religion or spiritual practices to have. There's a lot of valuable ones. I have two degrees in religion. I studied a lot of them. It's like one of my special interests. I think any yeah. way people make meaning out of life is fascinating to think about and talk about. And I could go on a tangent, but I won't. But yeah, yeah, there's, there is hope to have a meaningful life as a trans person. It's not all doom and gloom forever. Yeah. No. I don't know if you're a hugging type person, but if we we're in person, I would offer you a hug right now because this was really heartwarming and wonderful. 
And if yeah. you're like not down, I would like wave or give a handshake or something that is at your level of comfort. I'm a short hug person. I like hugs, but most hugs I go about, they go about three seconds too long. And I get this because I have suspicions that I'm slightly on the ace, the autistic spectrum. Mm-hmm. I have these moments where I'm like, okay, why are we still touching? Yep. This yep. is great. Yep. So short hugs are good. Yes. Uh, the California hug is very good for me. Like the, the kind of like, tap, the, that's the good. lean that's in, pat, pat. Yeah. Yeah. See? Consent. Negotiating. Love it. This is really wonderful. Yeah. Give me a moment and I can do that. Wonderful. What a good time. If my body had more spoons, I could just talk forever. This has been such a great conversation. Hey, I've had a lot of fine time too. Lot. I word good. Yay, words. (laughs) So thank you, everyone. This has been a lovely conversation today. Please remember... There's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there for you. If you want to learn more about indigenous stuff, it's out there. If you want to learn more about your own gender, it's out there. There whenever I find resources, which I've been realizing lately I do a lot more than your average bear, I post them in Discord. There's a specific channel called Solidarity Resources that's sort of a feed of all of the different types of diversity including racism, including gender, including neurodiversity, and more. And that's sort of the feed where I post the the best of the things that I find all over the place, doing the looking about. You can think of it as your own personalized Meowster researched like thread that you opt into to learn cool stuff all the time. And yeah, I'm really grateful for all of you showing up. Thank you to to Brooklyn's community for coming and checking us out for the, the follows. Thank you everyone for all the bits and cheers. I really super deeply appreciate your generosity, your attention, your uh, engagement with this topic, and let's keep being awesome. Thank you all so much.